Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Discovering a world of darkness and abyss that has trapped primordial thoughts in your mind further than you can remember. An account of the apocalypse that doesn't go to plan. And when Tunnel Vision takes over, there's no telling what will happen next. Welcome listeners to your new set of creepy stories. Your lineup for today is... Why Babies Are Born Screaming by Neurolog, Impatiently Waiting for the End of the World by Kulpik, and Tunnel Vision by Locked334. I've had some delicious porridge and a fresh brew of Earl Grey tea and I'm ready to bring the strange and creepy to your ears. So turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and get ready for something different. Why Babies Are Born Screaming Recall your earliest childhood memory. How old are you in this memory? Four? Five? Developmental neuroscience tells us that we don't develop episodic memories before the age of three. Supposedly, memories from before this time are merely phantoms, errors in the brain's memory formation process. Ordinary daydreams, mislabeled as facts. This is what the current research tells us. It is important you know this. Bear with me, reader. I will not waste your time with endless foreplay. Here is my story. I am a graduate student studying linguistics. My work often overlaps with that of the neuroscience department, and I have made many contacts there. One such contact is the subject of this story. We will call him DV. DV is also a graduate student. He studies memory. He uses a procedure called transcranial magnetic stimulation. This procedure uses magnetic radiation to activate targeted portions of the brain. Imagine a magic wand you can point at a cluster of neurons and say, Dance. And they dance. Two months ago, DV asked me to assist him in a pet project he was developing. He has assisted me in the past when I was learning to use an EEG for my research. I owed him a great deal. I had no choice but to help him in his work. DV is what I have instead of friends. I arrived at his lab after hours, as requested. He was waiting by the door. He was wearing his lab coat. It was far too big for his frame and swallowed his shoulders. He looked so childlike. Are you ready? He asked. Ready for what? I asked. He had not told me any details about his project. I just need practice focusing the machine. He said, I'm targeting the area of the brain. No one's targeted with this device before. I consented with little hesitation. He had happily served as my model subject when I was learning the EEG. Academia is built upon exchanges of favors. Besides, his machine doesn't even break the skin. I made myself comfortable in his examination chair. It had leather wrist restraints, but they were never used. I was facing a bay window. The lab was high on the campus hill. The night loomed heavy over the orange city lights. A few cars floated along the highway. 
Just tried to relax, DV said. His breath was minty, with undercurrents of gin. He turned on the magic wand and I felt the familiar buzz of electricity on my skull. The vibrations converged on points just behind my ears, on both sides of my head. The points began to burn. My hair stood on end. How do you feel? DV asked. He was whispering, but his voice was thick with anticipation. I think he already knew the answer to his question. Before I could respond, I heard a cry from down the hall. Someone was screaming in the stairwell. Someone was howling like an animal shot through the leg. I heard flesh cracking. I heard tendons popping. I heard a voice choking on words. Someone was vomiting up my name in the stairwell. I think I need to take a break, I said. I tried to turn to look at DV, but felt hands holding my head in place. I tried to move my hands, but found the wrist straps had been fastened. How long have I been here? I asked. No one responded. The moaning down the hall grew closer. Someone was pounding on the doors. They were locked. The door to the lab wasn't. Please, turn it off, I said. The current from the machine felt like lightning coursing behind my eyes. The window grew larger. The cars on the road skidded out of control. I watched headlights plunge into the river. I watched headlights careen into each other. The city lights blinked out one by one. The darkness of the landscape was so thick I could wade into it. So I did. I was out there, in the void. There was more distance before me than the Earth's horizon provides. I was alone. For a precious instant. Then, the darkness was broken by a man. He was the man from the hall. He was a man without skin, muscles and sinew all twitching, veins and arteries all spurting. I could see his heart shrivel in his chest when he looked at me. He was all slaughterhouse, no humanity. He was so close, I could smell the rotten meat on his silver bones. Do you remember me? He said. His teeth were gripped out like a racehorse. His frame was blurry as if dislodged in time. His mouth looked like a slow exposure photo of a burning carcass. Yes, I said, because I did. When I was young, too young to form memories, I had a dream. In this dream, a man walked behind me and told me things about the universe I didn't want to know. He was a man without skin. He was the man standing before me in the void. He followed me through movie theaters, through city parks, through howling tunnels and unkept forests and childhood homes, only to find me huddled in the corner of my bedroom closet. He spoke a few words. I don't have words for the things he said. I woke up soon after, drenched in freezing sweat, lips burnt with vomit, eyes sore from rolling in their sockets. My mind tried to reject the memory. I have searched every language for the words I heard that night, but no tongue of man 
has ever spoken the things I heard. There in the void, there in the lab, the man had found me again. The machine fractured my defenses and let him in. For the second time he spoke those words, and for the second time my mind refused to keep them. At some point what seemed like an eternity later, DV removed the device from my head. As suddenly as waking from a dream, I came to my senses. <laughs> How long was I hooked up for? I asked. Less than a minute. DV responded. He had lost his tone of knowing. His voice was quiet and trembled as he spoke. Untie me, I said. I then realized my wrists were not bound. DV was frozen in the corner. I stood up and gathered my belongings. My ears were ringing, each in a different pitch. They were dissonant. They were the last notes of a song I hadn't heard in twenty years. I'm not coming back, I said. Please don't contact me. DV nodded. His skin was as white as his lab coat. I walked five miles to my home. I didn't trust myself behind the wheel of a car. The night was silent as I walked. Even the crickets were quiet for me. When I got home, I vomited into my bathroom sink. I watched my breakfast, lunch and dinner circle the sputtering drain. I looked into the mirror. My shirt was drenched in blood, except for a pattern of ribs across the front. The blood was still wet to touch. My pockets were full of cartilage. My socks were soaked in afterbirth. I threw my clothes in the trash compactor that night. DV and I do not speak. I do not see him on campus. I complete my schoolwork regularly. I pay my rent on time. I fall asleep to talk shows on weeknights and to whiskey on weekends. I don't do too much dreaming nowadays. I especially don't think about my childhood. Somewhere in the unfathomed recesses of inaccessible memory, there are words that shouldn't be heard. A man without skin chose to tell me those words, and I chose twice now not to remember them. At the beginning of this text, I asked you to recall your first memory. I hope it was from when you were four or five. I hope it was simply a memory of your first injury or something similar. I hope these things, because somewhere in your brain, there is a memory of something your developed brain chose not to remember. I hope these things because the infinite horror of those forgotten words is too great for the human mind to comprehend. I hope your dreams are blissful and your nightmares leave you happy to be awake. Most of all, I hope that this story keeps you from exploring those damning and boundless vaults of your mind. When we are born, we have no defenses against the world, physical or mental. Perhaps it takes a few years to build these defenses. Perhaps the things we see before then are better left forgotten. All credit of this fantastic story goes to Neurolog. Impatiently waiting for the end of the world. When Greg imagined the coming of a zombie apocalypse, which he figured was only a matter of time, he saw it as a chance to be the hero he so wished to be. 
He'd collected all the tools and provisions he required, researched and learned all the survival skills to traverse the hardships the broken world would throw at him, and even practiced his machete moves on various melons and gourds until he had no doubt he could put the undead down swiftly. He even put together an outfit that was practical and, in his own words, looked so damn cool. He reveled in the idea of people looking to him for answers and protection. The picture in his head was glorious. He envisioned himself standing on the hood of a car as blood dripped off his machete. A scantily clad attractive young woman clinging to his side as dozens of vanquished undead laid out before him in crumpled heaps. Men twice his size would come to him for help. He'd been a fair and respected leader, ushering the frightened, lost and unwashed into a new era. He'd protect the weak and innocent, while stilling the hearts of evil, selfish men who sought to set themselves up as tyrants in the new world. Yep, Greg was sure that all he needed to demonstrate his worth to the world was for most of the human population to die off and turn into slow shambling zombies. Of course, visions of heroism were far from his thoughts when he was admitted to the hospital two days ago with a virulent new strain of flu that was sweeping the nation. Actually, all of Greg's thoughts and vital signs flatlined about 30 minutes ago. Greg's silly, unrealistic dreams of becoming a hero were dashed, but his visions of the world to come were not too far off the mark. His eyes shot open as he sat up in bed and uttered a pretty damn good guttural impression of a pirate. <laughs> a shocked orderly who was unzipping a body bag rushed to his side. He grabbed the young man and took a big chunk out of his arm. As he pulled the screaming orderly onto the bed and continued to snack on him, screaming broke out in another part of the hospital ward. He lost interest in the orderly once the twitching stopped and headed into the hall to chase down one of the many people rushing by his room. Two more like-minded patients shuffled by as he stepped into the hall. He staggered into formation with them, and so began dead Greg's new life as a flesh-hungry corpse. Ain't destiny a bitch? All credit goes to Colpick for this story. Tunnel Vision Mother says, There is nothing you can solve with your fist that you can't solve with words. Father says, If they step to you, you better whoop their ass or I'm going to whoop yours. These two conflicting notions have left me at a stalemate. I have spent the better part of my 14 years on this planet in utter fear of the consequences of actually defending myself, with words or otherwise. No matter the cruelty I endure, I simply sit stoic, unable to react in one way or another. I will hold in my misery until I am once again alone, and release it into the pages. It is the only place I seem to feel power. Even now, as I sit bloodied on this gym floor, I bite at my tongue until it hurts. There is little to be done for it. My pain has filled me much like a bottle, and I can feel it turning about in my gut. I can no longer hold it in, and the salty specks of my sorrow sting my wounds. They laugh while pointing at me, the mockery continuing. Then, a sharp echo of lightning erupts within me, 
The tears that soak my face run almost as a faucet, and my body begins to tremble. Every nerve in my body vibrates violently, my chest rising and falling sporadically. My breath becomes audible, and their laughter dulls during my rise from the hard wooden floor. I attempt to calm myself, if only to show my breathing. It is of no use, as soon my vision begins to blur. A tunnel forms in my field of view. The darkness my life had been for years blocks out my peripherals. A face burns into my pupils. The face of the one who had caused my newest agony. Even sound escapes my ears in this moment. All that remains is hatred. My vision clears amid chaos. There are people running for help. Some bent over a limp body on the floor. And at least four older boys are holding my body. There is one on each arm, fighting desperately to keep me from moving. One stands in front of me, yelling all manner of profanities, and the other has his forearm wrapped tight around my throat. I can barely breathe, let alone speak. All I know for certain is that my hands hurt terribly, and I have no earthly idea why. My actions are being relayed to me through a county-appointed lawyer, accompanied by a psychiatrist. They have laid images upon the table of what could be mistaken for a raw slab of meat that blood still clung to, as if freshly slaughtered. Needless to say, the boy would not recover, and I would not return home. I am told I will be held for treatment until I am able to adequately stand trial and explain my actions. I have been given comfortable lodging and get daily visits from my family. They all beg me to explain what happened to someone, anyone. They tell me that the psychiatrist will help. They all seem to think that all I need is a little medication. That would be too easy. They all want me back the way I used to be. Normal, they say. I don't think I want to be that kid anymore. Living in the fear of every confrontation. I have not spoken since the incident and I don't think I will. I might just bite my tongue increasingly harder. Yes, that's what I will do. The doctor is trying to get me to open up again. I can tell by that look on his face, he is becoming frustrated. I don't even hear a word that is coming from his mouth. All I am focused on is his face. I just keep biting my tongue. And I think I can taste blood now. All credit goes to Locked334 for this story. Goodness, every one of these stories hit the mark. I have to wonder what DV saw whilst the protagonist was in that chair. Did he see the skinless creature? And I'm certain that all of you out there know that special someone who touts to everyone that if zombies were around, I'd totally survive. It'd be great. Only to find they could be the first to go. And the power of stress and bullying makes itself known in tunnel vision. That lovely twist at the end looks like the beginnings of a unique villain. Once again, thank you Neurolog, Culpick, and Locked334 for these brilliant stories. 
And thank you so much for listening, you creepylicious ghouls, and be sure to check out each of the writers in today's episode. Drop them a line and encourage them to keep writing. All their details are in the show notes, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Also, a big shout out to Devonti Ile for recommending the first story, Why Babies Are Born Screaming. What a great pick. And for all those who recommend or send in their own stories, I'll be sure to thank you on the podcast as well. Now, for the end of this week, I'm going to do another Swedish folk story. So stick with me then, and I'll have a brand new tale just for your lovely ears. And as always, till next time.